wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is Extra Time on SENZ. Ben Francis, what on earth is going on with the Flower of Scotland? Are we dedicating something to Gordon Simpson, our, um, our, our co-host on Hurricanes Valley? Well, yeah, I thought that would have been a, a, a great idea, Watto, and especially with uh, John Leslie getting the Northland job too. Mm. But, uh, no, Chainsaw there, Laney. There, there, was a, there was a reason for that, and that is uh, because last night I had the, the privilege of talking to former Scotland captain, uh, 79 tests for Scotland, part of the 2017 British and Irish Lions tour, Greg Laidlaw. Brilliant, and you've done that, and you're going to play that interview for us in a moment. Yeah. But just just, just um, going on there about the Scotland, I uh, always remember um, Sean Lanine playing for Scotland. His dad was an All Black, and I was lucky enough in 1989 when I was living in Japan, first went over to Japan in 1989, I was 18, and I saw Japan play Scotland at the Prince Chichibu Rugby Ground in Tokyo. It was the first time Japan ever had a win over an IRB nation because at that point, Japan weren't part of that, and now they've just been recognised as a Tier 1 nation. So, look, I'm going to throw this over to you. Sweet. Really appreciate it. Joining us on the programme is a man who has played 76 tests for Scotland, 39 of those as captain, which is a record. He is second on Scotland's all-time point scorers list, played in two Rugby World Cups and won many games for his nation. On the club scene, he has also played for Edinburgh, Gloucester, Clermont, and the Yuriasu, hopefully that's pronounced correctly, D-Rocks. The Matt man is Greg Laidlaw, and he joins me now from Japan. Konnichiwa. Greg, how are you at the moment? Yeah, konnichiwa. Very well, thank you. Um, enjoying my time over here in, in Japan. Uh, uh, the D-Rocks, we'll just, we'll just call it. It's uh, slightly easier, so there we go. Sounds good. Uh, firstly, mate, we've got plenty I want to cover off with you, but uh, now that you're retired, you're not going to be lacing up the boots, you're not putting the shirt on. Is that a weird feeling, still hearing that? Uh, I guess it is a little bit, mate, but... It's it's something I've you know thought about for a long time, and obviously you know I'm not getting any younger, mate. It's, I'm I'm turning thirty eight this year, so I feel pretty lucky to have to have played the game for for this amount of time. And I think you need, you obviously need a little bit of luck to to get to this point. So yeah, it's it's something I've prepared myself for uh, for for a period of time now. So I'm I'm almost glad in a way to be to be quite honest. Uh, I believe you've indicated that you want to get into coaching and it is your uncle Clark, who has been coaching New Zealand for uh, quite a while. Uh, have you spoken to him about the coaching scene at all? And uh, are we going to potentially see you as an assistant coach down here? Uh, well, so Clark's my cousin, uh, you know, first cousin. So Clark's dad and my dad are, are brothers. So um, I wouldn't have thought so any time uh, in the near future, but uh, you know, never say never. I think uh, you know credit to, to Clark. I think he's he's obviously I think he's pretty highly thought of in New Zealand. He's, he came over I think first with with Taranaki, uh, then a stage there with with the Hurricanes, sort of sandwiched either side with, with the Sevens. So uh, I caught up with him um, a couple of months back there down in Hong Kong. 
I was over in, in Hong Kong with with NTT, uh, so it, it was great to see him uh, him over there. And uh, New Zealand won the Hong Kong Sevens as well, so that was that was pretty cool. And um, caught up with uh, Tomasi Fama as well, so that was quite nice because I used to I used to play a little bit of Sevens back in the day against him as well, which was was great to see him. I want to talk to bit talk to you, sorry, a bit about your career and look back on some of the things you've done, but. You've spent the last few years playing in Japan, which is uh, being fantastic. Uh, but during your career, how much have you seen the kind of growth in rugby in Japan and uh, in terms of like how the, the depth of rugby, the knowledge of rugby from the public, all those aspects of it? Yeah, well, I think the you know certainly since I started and probably around that 2015 mark at the Rugby World Cup when Japan uh, ended up being in South Africa and, and obviously a fantastic game I think ever since then it's it's kind of sort of been growing growing and growing um, which is great to see and I think it only takes now for anybody to have a quick look in at the, the Japanese market in terms of the players that are that are playing over here uh, in Japan and, and but also the coaches as well you know I guess and listen I think you know there's a couple of things that the seasons are shorter uh, it's good money uh, clearly as well for, for the most part but I think you know, it's it's a tough old sport, so you know, you know, you can see why people do it, and 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 I think the crowds are starting to slowly come as well. Uh, you know, after a bit of time, it, it was really disappointing. COVID uh, sort of struck when it did, right off the off the back of the Rugby World Cup, and they had so much momentum after hosting a great World Cup. But I think it's starting to to come away again. Uh, you know, which is it's really it's really great to be involved in. What about the professional the professionalism in terms of the sport as well? Uh, I guess you know, we look at there's lots of clubs around and uh, it seems to be quite an attractive place for players like yourself. And even there's lots of guys, uh, New Zealand-based players like Aaron Smith is heading over to Japan post-World Cup as well. Yeah, listen, um, I think it, it obviously it depends club to club uh, in terms of that professionalism. But it's, you know, when you're attracting top coaches and, and, and all these all the clubs here are for anybody that doesn't know are linked to big companies. Uh, you know, so so some of the Japanese boys are essentially semi-professional. But yeah, put it this way, I don't see too many boys at our club uh, doing too much work for the company. So uh, would be fairly professional. And I think it was potentially Honda. I think they've came out and said that they're pretty much going full professional setup going into next season. Um, and you know, and as much as the clubs are linked to these big companies over here, the, the companies want to do well. It's it's a whole image thing for for Japanese companies and and they're really competitive and and they want to do well. So it's that sort of driving the the, the professional side of the game over here. Uh, from a New Zealand perspective, there was the recent deal announced with Japanese rugby, the new partnership. They want to see the international sides play a bit more, and there was even a bit of discussion about some of the New Zealand Super Rugby sides having to go against some of the Japanese clubs. Uh, I know the Sunwolves had a crack a few years ago on Super Rugby and. Look, there were moments of, of good of great moments for them but some of the clubs that you've seen in Japan and how much you've seen the kind of game grow in your time over there do you think that there could be a bit of competition there between the, the some of those teams oh well listen I think the you know the New Zealand teams would, would definitely have the upper hand uh, currently to, to be honest but I think the, the teams at the top end you, you obviously Panasonic's Suntory had a bit of a uh, a shorter year for them uh, this season in terms of the performance, but Kubota actually went on and won the, the competition. So I think uh, the teams at the topper end, yeah, you know, I think they they would go all right, you know, for, for the most part. But I guess the the difference would probably come down to the skill sets 
you know, I would, I would imagine. Uh, obviously, the Kiwis exemplary skill sets, and and that's probably one you know facet of the game over here, and, and certainly the club Ama is is probably where we need to close the gap a little bit uh, around some of that skill set stuff. Probably learned some of the set piece uh, stuff as well. So, but I think again, in terms of growing the game. Uh, you know, potentially opportunities, I guess, for for New Zealand teams, New Zealand corporations to to get into the Japanese market. It's it's a smart thing to do because you look at the way rugby is uh, now throughout the world. You know, it has to be financially uh, you know sustainable. So potentially looking at you know different revenue streams and stuff like that. It's it's hugely hugely important. Uh, you know, for everybody to be generating uh, money. And I have to ask about uh, the, the culture and food over in Japan. How does it compare to some of the other places you've been? Obviously, you know, you've got some nice decor there and in, in, in your background there. Yeah, uh, it probably doesn't compare to, <laughs> to anywhere else I've been um, in terms of, you know, the food's obviously a fair bit different, um, you know, sort of general culture. But, you know, what we love about the culture is, is I guess, in many ways, and, and I guess I'm speaking, you know, from obviously coming from the UK and Scotland is, we seem to have lost a bit of respect from that part of the world, you know, especially to you know the older uh, generation or elders, uh, and and that's not the case at all over here in Japan. I really love that, you know, that not not and I guess it's not just young people to the elders. It, it's everybody has that you know respect, whether it's the the sort of bowing or, you know, and just just being nice people. You know what I mean? And I, I really see that here in Japan. My kids are. Uh, they're at international school, but you know they're already speaking Japanese, and and depending on you know what sports they're doing on, on what night. There's there's a little bit of bowing involved to the coaches and stuff, and, and I really like that sort of element of Japanese life. We're talking with former Scotland captain here, Greg Laidlaw. I just want to look back on your career as well. You achieved so much, uh, but I have to ask off: Is there things that you wish that you you did achieve? Whether that was playing. A test for the Lions. Uh, I think you were reti- you retired just before it happened, but you know Scotland were meant to come down here and play the All Blacks in 2020, but then COVID uh, put a stop to that. So are there, are there are a couple of things that you wish you did you wish you did do during your career. Um, well, you know, the easy answer is is yes, and you know, but you know, I worked extremely hard at my career, and and the thing that I can rest easy on is you know I left no stone unturned in terms of. The, the due diligence I done, how professional I was, and I probably squeezed the most I possibly could out of my out of my body and, and out of my mind. But yeah, listen, I, of course I would have loved to have, have been involved in a, in a test match. Obviously, I was down in, in the tour in New Zealand in 2017. Uh, I never played in a test, sadly, but that was an awesome trip. It was a great tour and probably probably some of my best memories. Um, you know, from from playing rugby, certainly professional rugby, definitely. Um, I would have loved to have played down in New Zealand. Uh, with Scotland as well, I think you know we've got a bit of a connection, obviously from years gone by. Uh, you know, with people obviously you know moving over to New Zealand and and uh, and I, I would always love to have came down and and because you know New Zealand, New Zealand's it's one of the, the great challenges, isn't it, for for rugby players to come down and you know if time would have allowed it, I would have loved to. Have, I came down at some point and and played uh, Super Rugby or something. You know, if that would have ever worked. Uh, so yeah, they're the, the couple of things I would have loved to have done, but the seasons didn't really marry up in terms of playing internationally. So it was, it was probably never never a gore. What about some of the moments that uh, stood out for your career in terms of when I look back and, and I watch you play? There were so many moments where you kicked a penalty, scored a try, which won the game for Scotland. I, I remember the I think it was the the drizzly horrible night in Newcastle, the the, the try against yeah. Samoa in the World Cup. Um, is there one moment 
that stands out over the rest? Uh, it's a, it is a difficult one because, you know, fortunately for me, there, there's been a few good ones, uh, and, and it's a tough job playing for Scotland sometimes. But probably for me, it would be because it's, I guess, culturally for us in Scotland, um, winning the Calcutta Cup uh, against England, 2018 at Murrayfield is probably the, yeah, it's it was a big one. It's probably the loudest I've ever heard the stadium. Um, well, we had a good night after it, put it that way. Uh, but I mean, the game in Newcastle that that was pretty awesome as well against Australia. Yeah, so there's definitely a couple, you know, straight away when you when you think about it, when you, when you get asked that question, uh, you know, certainly some good memories that you can look back and and certainly have a smile about. I don't have the question written down, but that game in 2018, good to get your thoughts on it as well. But as someone that watches the, the game, that that the try that Shaw Maitland scored. That started from that Finn Russell pass. I, I, it's one of the the moments, rare moments in sport, which that pass just lives in my head. It was that that try was just sensational. It was pretty special, wasn't it? And I think I've, I remember that one not vividly, but sort of because we were quite deep in our half. I think maybe just outside of twenty two on the on the left hand side there as as we were playing up and. You know, Finn's when he got quite animated. Obviously, he's, he's clearly wanting the ball, so you know, I'd sort of dig into the ruck and get the ball out as quick as I can. And and he let this pass go. And obviously, I'm kind of in the, the same line of it. And I'm thinking, I'll, you know, oh shit, here's a, here's an interception coming, you know. And uh, but he, he just chucked it, put so much fizz on it, it flew straight over. I think it was Jonathan Joseph. I think it's straight over the top of his head and um, and it's huge on his hand. I think it was, and he just bust straight up the field and then. We had another couple of rucks and then he, he chucked another lovely pass over to Shawnee Maitland, as you said, going from right to left this time to score in the uh, in the top left-hand corner, as it were. Uh, it was a fantastic try and, and definitely one that I can remember fairly easily as well. Of course, you came down here for the Lions Tour in 2017. What was what was some of your memories of coming down here for that? Oh, great memories. That, that was It was a real good trip for us, I think. It was a little bit, I guess... A little bit old school in, in some senses. I think you know we probably, you know, probably had a few drinks here and there, which which was kind of encouraged. And uh, but but it was great fun. And I think because of the way it was structured, like we it was so busy for like for us as as lions, we'd literally play a game, you know, sleep, get up in the morning, sort of recover, and then move again. And then almost I think it was day off training and, and almost play again. So there wasn't too much time to like train in between. But I think you know that the whole sort of moving about and and seeing you know large parts of New Zealand, albeit and it was quick and you know a lot of, you know obviously rugby stadiums, but it, it was just such a great test and to see the you know I guess the, all the Lions fans who travelled over, you know all the New Zealand fans who were clearly you know right behind their country, uh, you know it was such a fantastic occasion uh, to be involved in. And look at looking back at some of those games as well, you. You guys had only been here a handful of days, and then you're running out against the the provincial barbarian side. Uh, I think was that you played six games. Am, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I think it was yeah, six games. I pretty much played uh, most of the midweekers. Started uh, maybe three or four of them, and um, you know, I, I loved the tour. You know, I played I played quite a lot of rugby, probably more than I, I maybe thought I was I was actually going to get uh, when I was there. But that that first game was honestly it was horrible for us. I think we'd turned up in New Zealand maybe two days before uh, because of the length of the season um, in the UK. There were still a couple of teams that had made finals. They were, they were still finishing up. and 
So it was literally, it was, I think there was chat of like the boys that weren't playing in these finals would travel early. And anyway, it never turned out to be the case. So we turned up uh, a couple of days before, I think it was the day before we even we, we were staying further, a little bit further south. And then we got on the bus north. And yeah, there was a few dusty bodies. Uh, that's for sure turning up to that, that first game. We probably never put in our best performance. But uh, obviously, the was it New Zealand Barbarians, Provincial Barbarians? Is that what they were called? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they played well. You know, it was obviously a sort of cup final for them. And basically, for us, is just don't get beat. So we, we managed to just get across the line and. Um, you know, it was, it was a great occasion for me because it was the first time I played for the Lions, so you know I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, what about some memories playing the All Blacks? I believe you made your Test debut in 2010 against the All Blacks, and then I think you played against them again in 2014. And I actually had it written down, but I went back in the archives and it turned out I was wrong. But the one test I wanted to touch on was 2017, which was when Stuart Hogg was tackled into touch, like meters from the line and i don't know if you were there or not but i just i was kind of curious to know like what what your perspective on that because I, I don't know if you were there and it was probably a brief moment where i know for myself i was watching and thought oh my god he's gonna score here yeah i th- i played them again as well because I, I you know I got my first cap against them and they must have came back over i can't remember because I, I actually played 10 against them and it must it was before 2014 so yeah doesn't leave much to it, so it was either 2012 or 2013. So, because we ran them, we ran them fairly close in 2014. I think I actually missed a bad kick. I think it was to go in front or to, to extend the lead or something. It wasn't too much long, <laughs> long left in the game, so I'll probably better take the blame for that one. I left it out to the right hand side. It's yeah, one I still remember. But anyway, 2017 was I was injured. Um, I, I got injured potentially in that Six Nations. And, and I couldn't play, but yeah, the Hoggy was uh, pretty close to uh, running that one in, wasn't he? It was Bowden Barrett that I got across, and he, that sort of speed endurance of his he probably got New Zealand out of jail. And and I think that's probably some of the progression you've you've seen from from Scotland, uh, you know, over uh, over the last couple of seasons, uh, playing real positive rugby. We've got dangerous players, um, you know. And we just need to try and get a couple of more of these tight games across the line. I think I look, I think the last three games between you guys and New Zealand have been fairly close. I don't want to say they're all within 10, but they're kind of in that kind of 10 to 12 mark. So uh, I, I I believe, and this is me being biased, I think that one will come eventually. Looking ahead to uh, the World Cup, uh, Scotland played some great rugby in the Six Nations. They're in a very tough pool, though, and there is a possibility that even if they get out of the pool, that they could face New Zealand. Uh yeah, get bit. You're bit. You're kind of glad you're not going to be playing in some of those games. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the nice things about being retired. You know, you don't have to stress too much about that these days. But listen, I'll be, I'll be right behind the boys in terms of if Scotland um, or Scotland are going to have to play extremely well, probably on two occasions, uh, certainly one, you know, to, to get out of the pool. Yeah, there's no denying that, and I think the the quicker they front that as, as a group. Uh, the better that is for everybody because obviously they're, they're going to have to beat Ireland who are number one ranked team in the world or they're going to have to beat the, the reigning world champions <laughs> South Africa so it's a tough task uh, clearly but I think for anybody that tuned into the Six Nations and, and watched the, the Scotland-Ireland game um, you know Scotland although Ireland you know, had a lot of injuries and stuff and they did do incredibly well to win that game you know, Highland, you know, knew they were in a test match. Um, and I think Scotland can look at other games as well when they played against France. 
over in France. That was a test match they probably could have won uh, against a great French team uh, also. So they've just got to understand, listen, boys, you know, if we play to pretty pretty much our maximum, uh, you know, and, and we can win a test match against one of these teams, you know, we, we give ourselves a great shot of of getting out of this group, um, but obviously it's it's going to be hugely hard, and they're going to they're going to have to peak at the right time. Probably, do you think it will help with the future of Brigo Townsend kind of settled? Because I guess that was that could potentially have been lingering in the background throughout the Six Nations, and whether he was going to be staying on after the World Cup, and hopefully as well, a couple of guys will be back from injury as well. Um. Well. You know, I certainly hope it helps because we're going to need absolutely everything to to go our way to. You know, to all for all the stars to align um, in, in many senses. So, but you know, once it comes down and when you sort of get into the game, you know that stuff doesn't really come into it. But I think, you know, Gregor's obviously had time and and that sort of cohesion and the, the players sort of understanding of how he wants to play and how they train. You know that that can really help a team, and I think that's probably one of the reasons. You know why is is because he's had that length of time, and you know probably why Scotland are you know playing consistently better currently. So you know. Hopefully, with him in the backroom staff fairly sell, they, they can keep that momentum going through to uh, and into the Rugby World Cup. I uh, got a couple more if that's all right, Greg. Um, 2015 World Cup against Australia was that probably the uh, angriest you've been on the field? Yeah, well, I've been angry a few times uh, over my career, but oh, that was oh, that was different. It was more, you know, I, had a, I guess a bit of shock at the time. Not obviously, I've been asked about this a lot, a lot of times, and not so much even. You know, I think the correct decision should have been a scrum at the time was accidental offside or one of those guys that touched it first or something. And so it was, it was probably more obviously we just wanted the the opportunity to to sort of see that game out. Uh, it was was the biggest one for us. So but yeah, it probably was in terms of anger as well at, at the time. But you know, it happened a lot a fair few years ago now. So we, you know. You just got to move on, I guess, and take it on the chin, and you know, try and learn from it, I guess, as well. Well, I hate to think what it's like out on the field because I watch every Scotland game, Greg, and uh, uh, there's been a few upsetting moments. Um, but uh, lastly, I wanted to ask you, what is the one thing you are most excited about retirement, and what's the one thing you're not going to miss about playing? Well, certainly won't miss you know big units running down my channel. That's for sure. Uh, you look at the game now in terms of this, some of the, the size of some of the boys. I watched Larachelle v Leinster in the, the Heineken Champions Cup final there at the weekend. And some big old units running about now, and and not so much just big boys either, like big powerful units as well. And so that's I certainly won't miss that. What I'm looking forward to outside of the game, hopefully a bit more time with the family, uh, certainly in the short term, but also also my golf game as well. Looking forward to trying to get that back back on the rails, mate, and uh, get some sort of consistency going with that because my golf game's all over the shop at the minute. <laughs> you and mine both. Uh, well, Greg, thank you so much for your time and uh, agreeing to speak to me today. I know you're being very busy. Uh, it's been an honour to chat some rugby with you as someone that uh, loves watching Scotland because uh, my family's from there. I'm a first-generation Kiwi and I wear my Scotland uh, with a lot of pride, so... Thank you so much uh, for this opportunity and uh, all the best with your future endeavours. Pleasure. Thank you very much. It is 27 minutes after eight. Uh, ben, good interview, mate. Well done. Um, Thank you. Yeah, interesting. What did you take out of it? What was the, what was the um, I guess, the thing that surprised you the most in that interview when speaking with him? 
I don't know if there was one particular moment which kind of surprised uh, that I was surprised by, but it was just more. One, I, I actually the one thing I did take away was how knowledgeable he was, and I I, I did a bit of research going in and had quite a few stats down. And uh, one of the games, one of the questions I asked him, sorry, was about uh, one of his favourite moments, and he spoke about the uh, 2018 Cole Cutter Cup, where I think Scotland won it. They won it at Twickenham, and that's kind of started their recent run. Yeah, yeah, and they hadn't been good up to that point. To be fair, yeah, they hadn't been they hadn't been too good. But there was this one try in the game, which was nominated for World Try of the Year, and Finn Russell throws this outstanding pass. It's like it, it was a long pass, and it was like a floater almost. And it just, the way it hung in the air, and uh, I can't, I think it was Hugh Jones caught it. He made a break, and anyway, Sean Maitland ended up scoring a try, and then the next phase. And Greg was out on the field, and I mentioned that try, and he pretty much like recalls it. Just as that attention to detail mm. is probably the, the, the great yeah. takeaway. Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't it? Because you talk to some players, and they'll often refer to games as it was all just a bit of a blur. Yeah. And I know from my own world championships that I went to in some races, I don't remember really much of it in hindsight now. Um, and yet. You know, talking to Justin Marshall the other day about him making his all-black debut in the second test against the French in 95, and he remembers it vividly, he says. Yeah. And I find that quite interesting, that their recall for some is remarkable, and for other players it's just all happened too quick. You've got to go back and watch the tape to remind yourself. Another guy who was, who's really good like that too, for me, uh, was Lance O'Hire. Uh, the former Warriors player, fantastic, just recollection. And some some of these guys, but I think that probably speaks to the player that they are as well. Like if you look back at a guy like Greg Laidlaw in his career, he was he was a, a very small halfback, but he he had carried so much expectations on his shoulder. He won so many games for Scotland, whether it was his kicking, whether it was kicking or scoring tries. He had so many big moments in his career. And then when you kind of spoke to him about some of those moments and just that recollection, uh, for me, he is a what I would describe as a Scottish rugby great. Uh, and you, I don't know if he, he would be probably their best ever halfback because he was more of a ten that transitioned into the nine. But he he was definitely I would say like he's one of the a cult hero almost, but because of how many games he did win for Scotland and he was kind of in that he's in that team where they've kind of really transitioned to I'd say they were quite inconsistent but they're still a bit inconsistent but probably not as much now Telephone number is 0800 150811 if you just want to comment on the interview you've heard we'd love to hear from you uh, Scotland international rugby uh, a real resurgence in more recent times that team that no one really dislikes that team though that you probably expect to beat, certainly through the eyes of being an All Black fan, but actually a team that I think might, might just upset either South Africa or Ireland on that side of the draw at this year's Rugby World Cup, meaning that possibly South Africa and Ireland, I think more South Africa than Ireland, not going through to the quarterfinals. And it might just work in the favour of either the French or New Zealand. We'd be sitting there going, boy, we've got to play Ireland or France. What if we suddenly had to play Scotland? Does Scotland believe they can beat the All Blacks? I don't think they do. And I think Scotland, if they were to get up and beat either Ireland or South Africa, could they then back it up? Would the emotion be too great? Do they have two of those performances in them? So Scotland could actually end up being the nation that actually helps New Zealand the most at this year's Rugby World Cup. 
Oh, 800 150 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. Uh, equally too, just keen to get your thoughts this weekend on the Blues versus the Hurricanes at Eden Park. This is the one game that has some serious weight on it and probably the first time in a long time, I think we're going to see full-strength sides take the park. Hoskins a 2-2 up against Adi Sevilla. If you're a betting man, you're going Adi Sevilla every day of the week. And then do you start Bryce Heem at second 5-8? Or do you stick with Harry Plummer at second 5-8? Stephen Perisveta starts at first five. Rico Awani comes back in to the Blues at centre. No Bowden Barrett. Geordie Barrett will return for the Hurricanes though. Lomax will return. Possibly Amua or Dane Coles at hooker. Eden Park weather forecast looked pretty good. I think the Hurricanes are the team of the future. I think they're a year or two years away from being a championship winning side. But I still haven't seen enough from the Blues to convince me that the Blues are going to win this one either. So really, one of the few games this season with some genuine intrigue in it. I would have said that on Saturday regarding the Chiefs and the Hurricanes, but of course the Hurricanes rested and rotated. And therefore you always felt the Chiefs were going to win that. Interesting to hear Gordon Simpson in our Hurricanes show between 7 and 7.30 saying that the Chiefs would be more concerned by that performance than perhaps the Hurricanes. Because the Hurricanes I thought were very good considering how underpowered they were with the number of players that were out. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one is the number. Hi, Graham. Oh, good. How are you? Good, thanks. Oh, great. Yeah, no, I um, yeah, enjoyed the interview with, uh, that Ben did with Greg Laidlaw. It was fantastic. Yeah, no. Uh... <clears throat> yeah, no, yeah, I've always taken a, a lot of interest in Scottish rugby. Yeah, I just, I've, you know, um, I remember the tours here in 75 and that Andy Irvine and those guys and, um, you know, that, they had some great players and, you know, they... Um, They've made a resurgence the last few years, and you know, a bit like Ben, you know, my dad's side of the family, his parents were Scottish, you know, but so you know, you have an affinity with with teams because of that. But yeah, no, I'd, they they're a team that you know are going to really, um, oh, I think they could be a bit of a, a dark horse in terms of you know knocking. I do question the ability, the thing, their belief system as far as the All Blacks. <laughs> yeah, but, Cause but... I, you know, pe- people did with Ireland though too. So in Ireland, have hung well and truly. Um, they've got bigger depth than Ireland, but they certainly broke in that that duck as such. Well, I, th- I, I think I think the thing for me is that South Africa. You know what I mean? They they can do the they can do the big beat up job, but they also have that ability the following week to drop a game. Now they'll always lift against the All Blacks more so than any other side. But I, I've just seen them at times being inconsistent. We've seen them be beaten by Japan at World Cups, haven't we? Um, so, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what influence Scotland have on this World Cup. Well, Scotland have also, I think they've beaten South Africa three, two or three times. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, they've never beaten the All Blacks. So they got, you know, they they did sometime in the last 10 years that they've beaten South Africa at least once. And I can't tell you which year, but I know they have. And they've done it, I think, a couple of times before that. Um, so they, it's often a team that they've tipped up. Way the way that Ireland now have become, 
you know, a definite bogey team for the All Blacks. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, no, it'd be interesting. I was talking to Corey Callow too. I, he mentioned he knew you. <laughs> I said I ring your shows. Yeah, I, yeah, I threw him an open training run the other day. And how so, was he? I don't. I mean, I don't really. I just watched him grow up a little bit, you know. But he was. Oh no, you know, yeah, no, he's not doing well. Yeah, he got to start last Saturday. So yeah, I saw it was, that. Um, well, last Friday night. So that was good because he hasn't had a lot of rugby. Um, and, to, yeah, be fair, to be fair, he actually looked better at seven than he did at six. I think he looks better at seven than he does I at agree. six. I agree. I agree. I thought at six, well, Ethan Blackadder, despite his injury troubles there, and with the emergence of Angus, uh, not Angus Gardner, Dominic Gardner, um, yeah, and also the ability to play Cullen Grace at number eight. Yeah, Corey, I think, did look better, actually, even mm. though it was only against, mm. you know, everyone's talked about Moana Pacifica. Mm how bad they were, but he still played, you know, he played well. You you can only play the team in front of you. Just going back to Scotland, you know, you talk about some of the great players off, clearly Gavin Hastings, uh, one of the absolute greats, and I think you could put Gavin Hastings up there very much in the conversations of great fullbacks, alongside of the likes of the Serge Blancos and the um, and, and you know clearly, clearly the great New Zealand fullbacks. And then you know, I always remember the names like the Finlay Calders and the John Jeffrey. Um, yeah, just some just some wonderful names that just would sort of roll off the tongue of the great Scottish commentator Bill McLaren. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose I always had a I always loved Andy Irvine because he came out here yeah. with the Lions in Scotland in the seventies, and I was only mm. uh, quite young. And he was a brilliant attacking player, he was a good great goal kicker too, but. A lot of those guys played football too um, in their early years, and they they were they they were better attacking players in those days. And apart from to say Brian Williams was and and the recently passed away Bruce Robertson, you know they they did actually there was a point of difference with the way they played mm. at times. But um, yeah, no, I think you know, it's been an interesting round this one coming up with Super Rugby too. I just yeah, I think the hurry. I think Gordon Simpson's summary was quite good actually. A lot of people have said that that. You know, the, the, the Hurricanes, you know, and I agree, they put in a pretty good effort. Oh, look, you've heard me, Graham, but you guys, I think Crusaders are going to win the Super Rugby Comp. They'll win it, and we'll have the conversation, but they will win the Super Rugby Comp. I just think you've got too good. I think you're getting your timing right. You've got your players coming back at the right time, and I don't think you've shown all your cards just yet, and it's going to come down to a semi-final and a final. I just think the Crusaders know how to get it done, and I think, unfortunately for the Chiefs, they will just come up a little bit short. Yeah, well, you know, obviously, you know, I hope you're right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they are timing it right. Uh, well, yeah, I think that, you know, that obviously those Sam Whitelock will be back soon. On I think this week. So, um, yeah, and obviously he, they managed to beat the Blues away. I mean, here, I mean, that was a tough game too. Um, yeah, and you know, and the Blues are a good side. So, and I think that they, I think they too. I think without Bowden Barrett. They, I think ironically, and I know he did play well the other day, but I think that they possibly be better without him, um, with with a you know a rejig lineup. Actually, I think mm. you did right on that. Yeah, I do too. I, I think Stephen Perifera offers more. I um, it was interesting to hear uh, the thoughts of um, Helen Gahu regarding. Uh, Harry Plummer, um, but I think if you're going to play Plummer, you either play him at second 5A or you bring him off the bench. And I think there's got a bit of room in there somewhere for Bryce Heem, but um, Heem, you know, he's putting a lot of pressure on. I think he's underrated. I'd prefer just to see Heem at second 5A. 
and have Plummer on the bench, but clearly communication's been a big issue, um, which, you know, reading between the lines, if you listen to that interview, what does that say about Rico Awani? What's he doing out, out there? What's Roger Tuivasa-Shek doing? I mean, is this part of the reason why that Roger Tuivasa-Shek has been dropped from the Blues historically? And, you know, is it again just maybe some of the flaws that could get the All Blacks into trouble by persisting with Rico Awani at centre? I mean, they're all questions that I think we should be able to ask. Oh, yeah, I agree, 100%. I mean, people like Mark Talia, you know, I, you know, I think he's uh, he's like Lester Faganuku has been for us. Um, those those guys are, should be dead. I know you hear people say about, oh, yeah, but they don't do this or they don't do that. But, but people get into that, like you've said, for 10 years, why find a way to leave someone out rather than yep. close? You've got to pick your form. Team yeah, and, you do. Yeah. And, and, and if you're going to start picking player apart and, and telling us the reasons why he's not picked, then you've got to make sure that the players you do pick don't have any flaws either because otherwise you get inconsistency in it. Hey, look, Graham, it's always lovely to have you on yep. the programme. Thank good you. Man. Appreciate it. Have, it, it. have a good night. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Mark. 19 minutes away from nine. You are listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150811 if you want to have your say. Michael Holdsworth texting in saying John Leslie named as Northland's new MPC coach. Yeah, so former Scottish international. Going to be coaching Northland in the MPC. Uh, if you do want to have your say, you've got any thoughts, you can text us here on double eight double three. It is 19 minutes away from nine. It is 15 minutes away from nine o'clock. Mark Watson, Ben Francis with you through with you to 10 o'clock tonight. We've got our rugby shows between 10 and 11. Uh, if you did miss them, so Gordon Simpson talking the Hurricanes and then Steve Devine talking the Blues. But a banter between the two because the two sides will meet each other this week. What's your gut feeling, Ben, on this one? Gut feeling? I would probably lean towards the Blues. I think home. Uh, I don't I don't know how much home field advantage plays at Eden Park, to be honest, for the Blues. But I, I think the fact that it is at Eden Park, I would have to give it to the Blues edge it just... Yeah, I don't know. I just have this feeling somehow the Hurricanes might get it done. Um, or yeah, I, look, I don't know. Actually, this is what rugby needs, though. We're sitting here, and we're not sure, and that's what I want. That's what I want for three or four of the games every week, where I'm not sure of the outcome of it. It's a, it's a, it's a starting point, but then at the same time, you want this discussion, but then you also want it to be discussed at the water cooler on a Monday. Which then is why you've then got to be able to bring in controversy at times, uh, selections, uh, coaches need to have uh, some personalities so they can maybe put their foot in it and we can have that discussion, um, you know, question whether coaches need to be sacked and then be able to have the discussion around the food at Eden Park and the actual whole game day experience at grounds around the country, then look at the administration of New Zealand rugby. So the whole package is there, isn't it? It can't just be, as you said, it can't just be about... Yes, the outcome of the game will be significant if we're not sure of the outcome of the game, but there has to be a competition where it actually means something, and I'm just not sure under the current format of the teams in Australia and New Zealand that there's enough depth to, oh, I won it, yeah, but you're just a big fish in a small pond. Uh, I, I was actually meant to get the clip of this, but I, I didn't, unfortunately. But it was a couple of weeks ago, Eddie Hearn was on a rugby podcast. I think Mike Tyndall was one of the hosts, and yep. Jamie Haskell, I think, two former England internationals. And they were asking him about rugby. And Eddie Hearn's answer to that, of course, well-known boxing promoter, amongst other things, he said that, that he was talking about the players and how there aren't any characters and personalities around the game anymore. And he highlighted because they're not accessible. And then he also went on to say, look, if you were to tell me right now, name six former rugby players, six current rugby players, he said, I probably couldn't even tell you that. 
And I think that speaks mm. highly to where the game is because that's that's in England. But then that is also the same problem that is going on uh, over here as well. And I will admit, trying to trying to talk to Greg Laidlaw, I had to go through a few channels, but I found it a lot easier than dealing with other organisations based here in New Zealand. Yeah, look, I mean, we've all had to deal with what I call the media prevention officers. We've got to say that the chiefs have been excellent to deal with, haven't they? Um, I mean, you tend to deal with them more uh, more so than I have to, but historically um, it's been very, very difficult. And I've had times in the past where, you know, they've got 26, 30 players and it's been a Sunday after a game and they just haven't been able to put anybody up. And it's like, hang on a minute. We're just some backwater at the bottom of the world, some really a minority sport globally, and you guys are making out like I'm trying to put a request in to get Messi or Ronaldo. Uh, It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. But there's a reason why boxing and mixed martial arts are so popular, because the thing is just full of characters, the pre-build-up. Yeah, they're childish. Absolutely, they're childish. Whatever you want to call it. But we all love it, don't we? And I'll keep going back to it. And if you think that we don't love that sort of stuff, we do. Anybody that watches Married at First Sight is as guilty as anybody who loves watching the chaos and the carnage and the build-up to a major boxing bout or a major mixed martial art fight. And this is what sport has to realise, and I said this with Gordon, and you would have heard me say this in the past. Stop treating us like we're perfect. Stop treating us like we're of the highest moral ilk. We just want to see human flaws. History will prove it. Look at the highest rating things on TV, the highest rating sports. They're all a train wreck, basically. It is chaos. It is carnage. It is actually away from the norm. And that's what we want. We want that release. It's interesting listening last night when we had Josh Cromfat on. He actually said that he did enjoy streakers. He enjoyed some of the charts where expletives were used to the opposition. You know, there's nothing wrong with a bit of biff. So we've taken all out of the game in the name of the family, but we've taken all the personality out as well. You know, start actually looking at how we're programmed. Stop moral policing us or tarring us with this high level of morality. Yes, we have high morals in other areas of life, which are really important, but we need no release, and sport is that release. We don't want to be involved in the fight, but we want to watch a fight. We don't want a streak, but we want to watch a streaker. When sport realises that, they'll have a better product. Nine minutes away from nine. It is nine o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150811. Jump on the phone. Have a conversation with me. Talk back is a better experience when you get on the phone. And I want to hear from you. I, I can sit here with my... Uh, view of the world and at times I'm not going to lie when it comes to rugby I can be quite pessimistic and in this game sometimes you can back yourself into a corner with your views and sometimes it's very hard to get out of it I need somebody just let's just talk let's just have a chat on sport really nice text that came in from Cal talking about Billy Harmon and needs to go to the World Cup look he's been the standout loose forward for the Highlanders in a team that's been ordinary and I like what Justin Marshall has said to me on Sunday, you still in World Cup here have to take some bolters. You still have to take some players who are just in form. And I think when it comes to the loose, he is certainly one of them. Remember, he's doing this in a forward pack that's often going backwards and he's standing up 
And that is often the true measure of a great player. We saw it last year with Artie Sevilla. Terrible all-black team. Terrible results. And yet he stood up when it counted. Week in, week out. Akel also saying we've got to have yeah, some a front row and a tight five that have got enough mongrel in it. Look, I, I, I think we've got some good locking depth, starting two anyway. You know, I still think it's your props, your tight head, your loose head props, is where probably we lack some depth. Uh, Ethan DeGroote uh, stood up. Lomax, I'm Terrell Lomax, to be fair, look, given the chance, he's actually played pretty well, but I'm still not convinced on him. I'm just not. Tamaiti Williams for the Crusaders, um, yeah, I think you've got to take him. I think you've got to pick him anyway for the first All Black tests. See how he responds into that environment. I mean, if you can get him being a big ball carrier alongside of Taki Ahau, then we're starting to make some progress in that front row, are we? Aren't we? Just got to confirm what side of the... He can play both sides of the scrum, so you can play him with Ethan DeGroot. You know, there's some very good loose forwards around. Ethan Blackadder is the guy we've got to make sure is just fit and healthy if we're going to any chance of winning a World Cup. I think Blackadder, alongside of Artie Sevilla, you know, and you put Sam Kane in there for further experience... A guy that I'd love to just see come in just purely for his tackling ability would be Adrian Choate. But they won't pick him. Which is a shame because I think he's one of the hardest working players in New Zealand rugby. And if I'm rugby league and you're looking for a guy who could potentially cross over, I'd sign him. I'd be signing him tomorrow. I think the first thing in rugby league is that ability to tackle, that ability to bring a man down. It's the first prerequisite in picking any league player, in my opinion, your ability on defence. Adrian Choate, simply superb. Anyway, you might want to have some thoughts on that. Uh, look, there's another article um, and stuff today regarding Team New Zealand and taking a pre-America's Cup regatta to Saudi Arabia uh, later in the year. And it's been compared to taking the America's Cup to Nazi Germany which I think is a little ridiculous. But trying to point out the human rights issues that exist within Saudi Arabia. And the issue is because it's Team New Zealand. I just think that it's a ridiculous comparison. The comments have been made by Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron veteran Hamish Ross. And he has, and I'll say what he says, he's compared Saudi Arabia's selection as a pre-regatta host to Nazi Germany hosting the 1936 Olympics. Ross quit the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron in protest at the selection of Jeddah ahead of the 2024 America's Cup. And lightening the hosting decision to the All Blacks touring of apartheid-era South Africa. And I guess if you want to have, what's Saudi Arabia? And there's two sides to this argument. I heard um, a broadcasting colleague of mine today on another medium, Brendan Telfer, talking about it. I think he made some really good points. Brendan said, look, Saudi Arabia are trying to use sport 
and trying to um, endear themselves to the rest of the world through throwing money at sport and hosting major events in the hope that people look beyond their human rights record and what goes on in that country. And if we continue to support Saudi Arabia, they're basically winning. And that if everybody does make a start, Saudi Arabia might be forced to change the way they do do things, not dissimilar to what happened with the changes in apartheid in South Africa. But look, the reality is, man, money talks. That's the reality of it. Our country here exports a lot of product to Saudi Arabia. They are the 24th biggest export partner to this country. Nothing is said on that. Government more than happy to clip the ticket, yet at the same time come out and grandstand when sports teams choose to play, play there or when Saudi Arabia want to sponsor the FIFA Women's World Cup, you get Grant Robertson and the current Labour government coming out and having their head in their hands and saying this is an appalling decision, this just can't happen. You know, disingenuous and just virtue signalling BS, complete and utter hypocrites. The question I want to know from the media, and I just want to know why, and I know a lot of questions were sent to Grant Dalton regarding this stuff are actually saying, oh, do you think that it is taking this regatta to Saudi Arabia like taking it to Nazi Germany? I mean, just ridiculous questions. My thing is, where were they with Lydia Ko? The reason why they didn't go after Lydia Ko because she's a female and she's a sportswoman. That's the reason they didn't go after her. And because the majority of journalists that do the sports writing with stuff are female and predominantly sit on the left and have an agenda, which I think, which I think discredits their journalistic credibility. I know a lot of people are not happy that Team New Zealand have taken the America's Cup to Barcelona, when so much money historically has been invested in the Cup, and for the America's Cup to stay here in New Zealand, but We'll get Grant Dalton on the program to maybe break this down. We've had Peter Lester do it. But the harsh reality is we will lose the America's Cup if we stay here because we just simply won't have the money to be able to put an America's Cup program together good enough to beat those challenging for the America's Cup. That's a separate issue. Where do you sit on sport being played in Saudi Arabia? New Zealanders participating in sport. What should our relationship be with Saudi Arabia? 0800 Should we be like we were with South Africa and apartheid? Should we take that stance? And if we're going to do it with Saudi Arabia... Why don't we do it with the class system that exists or the caste system that exists in India where I think it is the Dalits 
who are basically considered to be a lower form of human than those that sit in the upper echelons of Indian society. You are the lowest of the low if you're a Dalit, if you were born into that caste system. It is apartheid at the highest level in India. No one talks about it. No one mentions it. Cricketers go over there and make a fortune. High economic trade with India. Then you go to China. You've got the Uyghur people who are Muslim. In China, it's been reported over a million people that have basically tried to re-educate. Human rights or lack of at the highest level. But of course, we're not going to stand up against China because we depend on them too much economically. And it's funny, isn't it, how the government will lambast and castigate FIFA for wanting to have Saudi Arabia as a sponsor. Well, if asked, I'm sure we'll say that they don't support Team New Zealand taking a regatta to Saudi Arabia. FIFA will argue we need the money. Team New Zealand will go, we need the money. And when you ask them why we continue to trade with Saudi Arabia as a government, why we continue to trade with China, guess what their answer is? We need the money. And that's the hypocrisy, isn't it? It's good enough for the government, but it's not good enough for anybody else. Can you see the irony in it all? 0800 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. Anything else that you wish to discuss? Happy to take your calls. You're listening to SENZ. It is 17 minutes after nine. Telephone number is 0800 uh, Just having a look at this article again regarding South Africa, uh, sorry, regarding America's Cup going to Saudi Arabia. As I said, you know, the government will argue that they need to trade with South uh, trade with Saudi Arabia, China, and India because it just makes sense economically. Yet, apparently, it's not okay for sports people to do it, even though it makes sense to them economically. You can't have one and not the other. You've got to have a level playing field. Your government can't seem to be doing one thing and then telling its citizens it can't do the same thing. Just not a good look. So interesting comments too from Jim Farmer, who's a King's Counsel, so high-powered lawyer. He likened hosting the event in Saudi to the All Blacks touring South Africa, and he said that Saudi Arabia are just trying to sport wash um, the world's view of Saudi Arabia. So let's get heavily involved in sport and let's buy football teams, let's set up our own golf competition and maybe, maybe we'll be seeing in a slightly different light and the focus won't be on our human rights record, it'll be more about what a great country we are and look at what they're doing for sport. And that's the concern, that that's what, that Team New Zealand's just basically facilitating that. 
I think it's a little bit of a stretch. I wonder whether the likes of Jim Farmer, um, and just trying to remember the other gentleman's name that we'd mentioned earlier, um, what's his name? I've got it here. My apologies. Sorry, it's getting to that time of the night. Um, here we go. I'll take it to the top, Mark. There we go. So the other the other uh, gentleman involved was Hamish Ross. So you got Hamish Ross and Jim Farmer have both come out and criticised Team New Zealand for taking a pre-America's Cup regatta to Saudi Arabia. I wonder if both these gentlemen sat down and watched the PGA Golf Championship in, in America over the weekend where a number of the top players, including Brooks Kepka, who won it, has signed for Live Golf, funded by Saudi Arabia. How far do you take your protest? I mean, a lot of the world's golfers have basically bought into the Live Golf Tour. Are they complicit in the sports, in Saudi Arabia's sport washing of their global image? Do they stop watching golf now? Do they stop watching the golfers who have signed with Live? What would there be their view if, say, Ryan Fox decided to sign with Live? <clears throat> I just think that, <clears throat> my apologies, I just think when you do this, you go down a dangerous path where very difficult not to end up looking like a little bit of a hypocrite. The world is not a good place. There's lots of parts of the world that are fundamentally flawed. But, I mean, you can look at America's foreign policy and all the illegal wars that they've carried out, but for some reason they can justify it and we buy into their justification. It's funny how we all sit there and we vilify Putin for his war on Ukraine. He clearly sees Ukraine becoming a member of NATO as a big danger to Russia. Is that any different from the Americans invading Iran, Iraq, Panama? Because they somehow felt that was not in the best interests of the United States. You know, we've heard that word, haven't we, a lot in recent times, subconscious bias, and I think we all are guilty of it at times. We see what we want to see. We don't always go deep enough into an issue when we form an opinion. 0800-150811. Ben, you got a point of view on this, mate? Do you have an issue with Team New Zealand going to Saudi Arabia? Uh, I, 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 look, I don't know. I really don't know what I like. It's really hard when you see other sports heading there as well. Um, but as you say, I think part of it has to be the whole, if you're going to be holding Team New Zealand accountable, then you have to hold everyone else accountable. Yeah. So you have to start with the Lydia Coes, any other New Zealand teams that go up there. But I think you've also got to go to places like Qatar, you know, would we have had an issue if the New Zealand football team had gone and played 
the FIFA Football World Cup in Qatar. Did we? Do you think those two that have come out and criticised Team New Zealand, uh, Jim Farmer, I don't know, I'm just asking the question, uh, Jim Farmer and Hamish Ross, do you think they watched any of the FIFA Football World Cup? And if they did, was that hypocritical of them? Oh, probably. I think, I, if I remember, I think it was Gary Neville, he went to Qatar for the World Cup and he was asked about it, oh, so you're, you're going to do this and that? And he's like, no, I'm going there to, to work. I'm not there to support. I'm there to just do my job, mm. um, and I, I don't. It's really difficult. I think if you're going going there in that capacity, I don't think you're supporting or condoning what the country's doing. It's at the end of the day. I guess you're going there to do your job, feed your family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know, but as you say, I, I think I think for me, it's yeah more about the whole being accountable. If you're going to be holding Team New Zealand, you have to hold everyone else accountable. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, man. Like in all seriousness. Go and have a look at that class system that they have in India. Mm. It is brutal, man. I mean, if you are the Dalit, I think it is called, you are the lowest form of the low. You basically don't have a chance in life over there. You know, you are looked upon as, yeah, almost subhuman by those who are born into the so-called upper class. Uh, And you just sit there and go, but it's just apartheid, except the apartheid is not between necessarily um, two skin types. It's based on, I don't know, genealogy. It's almost, to me, though, it's almost at the stage where you're going to be having to go at places. I know lots of the stuff over in these other countries is far worse, but you know, New Zealand's no happy place at the moment, so we're going to have a go at people that are going to be coming here because you know the way the, the way the country is at mm. the moment. It's and it, it's not in a very good state, and um, so and I'm and I'm being genuine when I say that. Like yeah. we got record crime and all this other stuff, and so what we're going to be having to go at people but for coming here. Also, it's funny how we want to put our belief system on everybody else. We talk about the freedom of speech, the right to be individuals, and yet we go and put our belief system on an entire another country. And yet they're, rightly or wrongly, and I'm not, trust me, I'm not justifying what Saudi Arabia are doing, but they clearly believe, hey, this is how our society runs, this is the way, whether it be placed on religion or whatever, historically, and so the rest of the world have moved on. Um, and so, you know, suddenly, well, you've got to do the way we do things. Well, hang on a minute, the Russians are sitting there going, why don't you do the way we do things? You know, what is right, what is wrong? And this comes back to this whole freedom of speech issue. Um, clearly what they're doing from a human rights point of view through our eyes is, is fundamentally fraud and fundamentally wrong. But, you know, who is it for us to tell another sovereign nation what they can do and what they can't do? At the end of the day, though, I think no matter what happens, there's always going to be somebody that is going to find something to complain about. Once yeah. again, that just comes down to the, to the society we live in. I remember I, I heard an interview on the BBC and it might have been, was it Hungary, was it Yugoslavia, one of those countries, my apologies, I don't want to get it wrong, but they're very much a Christian-based society and they want to keep it that way. And I, you listen to it initially, you go, man, that is just so fundamentally wrong. Then I heard a spokesman from that country talk about it and by the end of it I was like, okay, there's some merit in what he's saying. Um talking about, look, this is the way we've been for X amount of years, for a thousand years, and what right is it from someone else to come in and tell us how to do things? We don't do it to you, don't do it to us. Interesting debate, but I think you're right, mate. If you're going to do it to one, you've got to do it to all. And if you're going to be one of the biggest critics and you're going to come out in the media and you're going to scream about it, be true to yourself. 
Don't watch any golfer that's playing for live. Don't watch the major championships. Don't watch the FIFA Football World Cup. Um, anything in those parts of the world, switch off. Don't buy Chinese goods. Don't buy Indian-based goods. Well, Argue buying American-based goods because look at their American foreign policy and the damage they've done. I mean, in the name of democracy, how many innocent people have died through bomb attacks in the Middle East, etc., from Americans? I don't know where the, the game has been played, but aren't the All-Whites playing uh, Qatar at the upcoming international window? And I don't remember there being any... Are they? Are they playing Qatar, are they? Yeah, I don't know if they're playing there, though, because they're playing, they might be in Europe because they're playing Sweden a couple of days beforehand, but that, that's who they're playing. But then, as you say, that country comes under the same issues and with the FIFA World Cup last year, and I haven't heard a single criticism about the All-Whites choosing to play a game against that nation. Let's have a look. Uh, friendlies, June 20th, you're right, 4am in the morning, Qatar take on New Zealand. There you go. Yeah, anybody jumping up and down about that one? And it's the all whites. And what if it was the, what if it was the white ferns? Or no, what are they? The football ferns. What if it was the football ferns? I guarantee there'd be nothing said if it was the football ferns. Nothing whatsoever. Hey, we're not going to criticise women's sport. Hey, how dare we? We can't do that. That's a separate issue. No, they're allowed to. That, that's, but that's unfortunately where this country's at at the moment. You know, it's okay for some, and it's not okay for others. And the problem is we've got journalists who I think are young, who I think are dumb, who I think historically sit too far on the left and cannot separate quality journalism for their own opinions. And a lot of those opinions are based on being told what to think and not having all the information put in front of them. Because as I said, where are the articles on Lydia Ko? Where are the same people writing those articles on Lydia Ko winning there? Where are the same articles on the all-whites taking on Qatar? Probably it's not going to get clicks, Watto. They don't have enough Instagram following, you know, all that cliché. Anyway, uh, sport and entertainment, so we've gone down politics. It's, politics is entertainment, isn't it, Ben? We're allowed to be a bit entertaining. We can go down this. Well, this isn't a political issue, though. That's just the harsh reality of it, and you've got to draw upon politics to show the hypocrisy in some of the arguments. Well, one thing I learned at school is no matter no matter what you do with sport, it's always politics is always involved. Mm. No, that's right, 100% correct. Um, 0800 is the number. We will take a break. When we come back, I want to change it up. I do just want to talk about... Women's rugby, is it under siege from Women's Rugby League? And what can New Zealand rugby do to stop it, if anything? And I think rugby have only got themselves to blame, nobody else. Is that my cue, Ben? Was that my cue? Sorry, we had some dead air there, didn't we? Okay, we had some dead air. Um, uh, right, uh, look, um, it's been reported, well, it's news, that Tyler Nathan Wong... Uh, all Black Sevens well, not All Black Sevens what do they call it Black Fern Sevens silver medal at, no gold medal at the Olympic Games that she's going to go and play rugby league for St George Illawarra Dragons in the NRLW and now the season starts from July 3 to October Good luck to her. I can see more of our rugby talent going there. Clearly, there is a better economic model. Clearly, they are selling tickets. They do have some revenue coming in from television. And therefore, I'd imagine they can offer these players a reasonable amount of money. 
comparative <coughs> to what they might be getting paid playing sevens or playing rugby in this country. <coughs> and it's going to happen more and more because the reality is clearly women's rugby league is the women are selling tickets. <coughs> women's rugby in this country doesn't sell tickets. Women's sevens doesn't sell tickets. And so you go, how do we stop this? Well, how you stop it is you say to them, you go to rugby league, but you're not coming back to play sevens and go to the Olympic Games because all New Zealand women's rugby sevens has is the Olympics. That's the carrot. Yes, we can't really pay you to the same level rugby league can, but rugby league can't take you to the Olympic Games. We can. And so you then put it back on the players. Well, do you want to take the money or do you want to go to the Olympic Games and try and win Olympic Games gold medal? Let them choose. Leverage what you've got against what they've got and let the player choose. It is unrealistic in this country for our women's rugby players to expect to get paid significantly. The men get paid because it's taken 120 years of all-black rugby and the men's game to generate an audience, to generate a high level of engagement, to bring commercial partners on board, to bring television deals on board. Thus, the men in rugby get paid. Mind you, the way the game's been administered at the moment, I'm not sure that there'll be a lot of money in the long term for our players because I think the economics of it will drop out. It's another story. But that's not the case with women's rugby. There is just no money there. And you can't expect the men's game to pay for the women's game. The women's game needs to pay for itself. Just because somebody else is doing something and getting paid doesn't mean that you should get paid. I use this. I work on radio. Should I get paid the same as Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB? Doing the same job. Clearly he sells more tickets, if you know what I mean, if I can use that metaphor. Should our men's netball team get paid the same as our women's netball team? Clearly not. It is not a commercial product. It doesn't stack up commercially. That's not to say we can't try and build it. That's not to say we can't try and build a business model. But it takes time to do that. So well done to Nyla, uh, Tyler Nathan Wong for picking up a rugby league contract. Hopefully she is remunerated well for it. But... I think New Zealand rugby should tell all players that are thinking about going to rugby league that if you do go, the door is closed on the Olympic Games, on playing for the Black Ferns. Because if you don't, the floodgates are going to open and you're going to be at the mercy of rugby league. You're not going to be in control of your own destiny. And we've implemented a similar policy for the men's game. We've said if you want to go and play overseas and play rugby overseas, you can't be an all-black. And it's allowed the domestic game, at least here, to survive to some degree. 
where if you said, hey, no, you can you can go play wherever in the world and we'll just pick the best team from around the world and we'll have a call of the all-black team, we wouldn't have a domestic competition here. What is the solution here? How do they combat it? 0800 150811 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. Somebody jump on the phone, have a conversation. And just on that, why the hell is no one watching Sevens anymore? Every time the Sevens is on, the stadiums are empty. Is that because it is now an Olympic sport and therefore the only thing that actually matters is the Olympics? Everything else has become sort of secondary. I mean, you've still got the Hong Kong Sevens. Do they need to get more creative where they take the Sevens? I could never understand why they didn't take it to... Why they didn't take it to Munich. I think Munich is the home of DHL. I think Munich is the home of Adidas. A lot of the major partners of World Rugby are actually based in Munich. Imagine taking a Sevens game the week of the Munich Beer Fest. Oh, that's right. You can't have fun, though, at the rugby. How dare anybody have a beer at the rugby and get slightly tiddly and have a party? We used to have that in Wellington. It was called a sellout, but we stopped it. And then it fell over. But we thought everybody was perfect. We thought everybody was of the highest moral standing. So we decided to build a product around that. But what we forgot is actually mankind is flawed. Highlighted by the fact that man's defeats are on the front pages of the newspapers and man's victories are on the back and that thousands of people every week watch Married at First Sight, which is a train wreck. Sport need the equivalent of that. Take the Sevens to Munich. No one seems to be interested. No one's watching it anymore. 0800 150811 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. Spear lines, first time tonight. Okay, right, it is 14 and a half minutes away from 10 o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. Just watching uh, on the back one of the TV screens in here. Auckland Rugby League of... Um, I don't think they're short of money. I think they had quite a bit of um, land in around Carlaw Park and stuff in the centre of the city, but they've actually got the Fox Memorial and they're broadcasting that and they've clearly got Sky to broadcast that on their behalf. Stephen McIver, I think one of the commentators, Glenn Lama, I think might be doing some alternative commentary, but good on them for getting it on there. Um, I'm a big man out man, uh, big man Abbott Lions who, you know, probably the most successful Auckland club in regards to Fox Memorials and also the club that was really the driving force initially behind the Warriors getting themselves established. So nice to see some local rugby league um, on TV. Oh, I've always said this, I think that it'd be nice to see some local club rugby on TV um, versus schoolboy rugby. I think it would just put greater emphasis back on it and hopefully uh, reinvigorate it um, and have more people wanting to go on and play senior club rugby and maybe, you know, the Talent scouts start looking a little bit more at that rather than just at big kids doing really well at schoolboy level. Uh, it is interesting, though, that since the Auckland schools said, look, we don't want the television cameras anymore covering uh, First 15 rugby, that Sky have pretty much said, look, we're just not going to cover any of it. And I can understand that. I, I mean, you look at it and go, OK, why are people buying Sky? Well, we're buying it because of the NRL. We're buying it because of um, rugby. Uh, we're buying it maybe because some of the American sports that are on. 
uh, probably to a lesser degree, I think netball. I still think predominantly those that buy Sky Sport are men, but clearly there are some who will, you know, uh, wives, daughters, girlfriends, and some women might are that passionate about it that they might buy Sky to watch the netball. But they're the reasons why you buy Sky. And then you've got to ask yourself as a business, well, how many more add-ons do we have? Do we have two more add-ons? Do we have three more add-ons? If we were to cut this particular sport, do we lose any market share? Do we lose customers? And I think First 15 Rugby probably falls into that category. What's it costing us to produce on an annual basis? And if we don't have it, how many people are going to stop subscribing to us? And I'd argue it's not going to really force anybody to stop subscribing because you're going to watch a schoolboy game probably one a year and that's probably the school that you've got an affiliation with. You'd have to be an absolute, complete and utter rugby fanatic to sit down and watch every secondary school game that's on Sky. But also, there's enough rugby to keep the rugby fans' appetite sufficed. Now, there has been an argument around English Premier League. They'll tell you that it just doesn't rate. It's funny how they'll tell you it just doesn't rate, yet they won't tell you the ratings often of any other sport. And yet, I buy Sky now because they do have the English Premier League. How much do I actually watch? You know what? I don't watch a lot. And people go, well, aren't you wasting your money? And I go, well, it's a bit like insurance for me. You pay your insurance fees hoping that you're never going to have to use it, but it's bloody great knowing it's there if you do need it. And that's what it is for the English Premier League. I pay for Sky so that on those occasions I want to watch Liverpool play Manchester City, Liverpool play Arsenal, Liverpool play those big games, I can. And therefore I'm happy to pay the money knowing that I can. That doesn't mean I necessarily will, but that's why I'm spending my money. And I think sometimes, sometimes, that shouldn't be underestimated either. It's a really, really interesting time in New Zealand sport in terms of our viewing habits, what the definition of entertainment is these days. And I'm not sure anyone really knows where it's going or where it's going to end up. I know so many people now that will just sit there and watch TikTok videos that just roll over. And I've got to say, I've been guilty of it in recent times. I'll get on Facebook and I'll click on a video and then next minute it rolls into the next video and the next video. And it's actually quite engaging. It's quite consuming. And then clearly you've got YouTube, you've got all these other forms of engagement, and you go, well, okay, they're providing me a level of entertainment. Well, that's 10 minutes now that I don't have left in my day and 10 minutes that I no longer will use watching satellite television or mainstream TV. In fact, I've got to say, I very watch, I just don't watch television one, two or three at all anymore. Never. I don't even watch the news. I'm just so cynical. Just report the news. I don't need you having a news story to represent every single demographic in Auckland. I just want the news as it happens. The major news stories is all I want you to tell me. I don't need you to get out and tell me a community story or go and manufacture one. If there's an earthquake, I want to hear about it. If there's a murder somewhere, I probably want to hear about it. 
there's a political situation, I probably want to hear about it. Hey, I do want to hear about the feel-good stories as long as they're exceptional. Interesting time in our media. Nine minutes away from 10. Do you, do you watch mainstream TV, Ben? I mean, sometimes it's a time thing and I know you work at night, but do you, I, I, I just, why? Why do you want to watch adverts and why do you want to watch? Uh, no, but that is because we don't have a connection for the TV. So everything we watch is through uh, the Xbox. So that is either Netflix, YouTube, Disney, and when the Warriors are on, I'll connect up the laptop and watch Sky Go. For the, for the Warriors and that's it as soon as the game starts I'll put it on as soon as it's done it's off you know Netflix when they set up Netflix um, mantra was we don't actually worry about any other competition our greatest competition is time we want to beat time we want people to be sitting here stuck here and not being able to move from here and I quite like that I think it's changed now I think there are other platforms coming in I think they've dropped the ball a bit but as an as the early adopter as the you know first real streaming platform that came in and changed the game when they first did come along it was, it was it's a little bit like a hungry person going to a buffet isn't it you're just sitting there going wow look at this I've just got a buffet I ain't going anywhere for the next six hours I've paid one fee and I can eat whatever I want as much as I want and that was Netflix I remember I remember when I first got Netflix and the first thing I watched on it was Lost oh yes because yep. yep. I'd, I'd seen the odd episode but that I was kind of the whole concept of like I've got this platform which has all the episodes and because of the way Lost ends it, it drew me in and yeah you you say you say I'll watch one episode and then one turns into two and then two turns into three vice versa and then you, when you realise you're like oh geez it's you know two o'clock in the morning or something I should probably go to bed mm. and then you get up first thing in the morning I think I think I was had time off work and I was but unwell and. And I was like, oh, you know, what's what should I do? Oh, let's watch more Lost. And, it, mm. and it's kind of funny when you think about that, but yeah, uh, that's I, how it draws you in. I, I watched, I, I haven't had a binge like that forever. The shows that I have binged on on Netflix have been, um, uh, what's the British cop show? Um, Line of Duty, stunning show. Wow, that is just so cleverly written and it's just so addictive. If you haven't watched it, settle back, watch that. Just get through the first episode of the first season, second season, second episode, and you will not look back. You will just be an adrenaline rush. You will just not know how to stop and not continue watching. Um, I always remember, too, when it came out was... Um, 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 what was the one about the American soldier that comes back to America and they're not sure if he's being turned by terrorists in the Middle East or if you're talking about Rambo for a second is still an American <laughs> soldier um, oh what do they call it uh, like oh, a veteran yeah what's the um, security these days Homeland Security Okay. Home, Homeland it was called brilliant really well done And well, first season anyway second season good third season loses its way a little bit brilliant but I, I watched the Americans that was quite good have you ever seen that uh, honestly, mate, lots of the stuff I watch, and I know I said Lost before, and that, but, which is American, but I, I mainly watch British watch, TV. Watch the Americans. It's quite good. It's, it's actually about this couple who are actually Russian spies who have been dropped into America to act as an American family and then go about their Russian business as spies. And they link it to real events, and then they sort of try out and make out that these two were sort of responsible. So when there's historic things that happen, they sort of pretend that 
these guys were part of the reason why these so-called accidents happened. In fact, it was Russian meddling. But it's it's very clever. It's very very good indeed. It's um quite um what's the word? It's um yeah, it can be a little bit raunchy at times there, Ben. But it's quite a good show. Quite creative. Some very clever people out there. Anyway, yeah, fascinating. I'm just not sure where we went with all of that, but no, well done to Auckland Rugby League anyway. Let's go full circle and bring it back to that. Uh, look, that is me. We're coming back between 10 and 11, we're going to bring you the two rugby shows that we had earlier. Um, we've decided that it's a good opportunity for those that have missed them between 7 and 8, for whatever reasons, family reasons, um, just getting home from work. And I know a lot of people now just sitting down wine, maybe going to bed, like to listen to things before they do go to bed. So we've got Steve... Um, Gordon Simpson, my apologies, coming up, talking the Hurricanes, and then we've got Steve Devine talking the Blues between 10.30 and 11. Special thanks to Ben Francis.